0: Welcome to DevMode.fm, a podcast dedicated to the tools, techniques, and technologies used in modern web development. I'm Andrew Welch from NY Studio 107. I'm Jonathan Melville from
1: MDD in Atlanta.
2: I'm Marian Nulivant here in Portland, Oregon. I'm Michael
1: Roggs, sweating it out in Houston, Texas. And I'm Patrick Harrington from Mildly Geeky in Boston. And today
0: we have on Sam Hernandez, the front-end architect at Precocity LLC. How are you doing, Sam? <laughs> Great. Woohoo. Wow, that's a fancy title, isn't (laughs) it? Isn't it? My goodness, that you might even say that's a precocious title. (laughs)
3: Precocious (laughs) at precocity. I'm gonna, Mm. I'm gonna drop that in Slack.
0: Yeah, you can steal that. So, Sam, we want to talk to you today about something called stoicism. So if you are out doing a photo shoot at Club Marcella at a drag show, and the the next drag queen was about to come out, someone turns to you and says, Hey, Sam, what is stoicism anyway? And what does it have to do with development? Like, what would you say?
3: (laughs) That's quite a scenario right there.
0: Um, (laughs) I mean, hurry up, because the next performer's coming out, the music's going to start, so you you don't have long to kind of give them something.
3: Okay, so it's a coherent philosophy of life that you can live by that is intended to give a person a sense of, Equanimity in life, which is serenity, peace, and even joy, you would say. So I think at the end of the day, that's uh, like that's probably the elevator pitch right there.
0: Well, everything I know about Stoicism, I learned from PewDiePie the famous YouTube streamer he did a, a little stream on stoicism believe it or not like, I was sh- oh, really? I was shocked
4: I am I was to shocked. know that
0: yeah I was shocked on April 29th this year actually he did it so it was, it was actually I was surprised to see that but it was actually pretty cool and it was pretty well done and obviously he's going to be hitting a very different demographic than most of the people here you know mm-hmm. kind of re- revolve in so it's kind of interesting very no, I remember about your YouTube habits <laughs> what's wrong with PewDiePie, man no. All right, oh, anyway. oh boy that's another podcast oh we got gotta get into what's wrong with him all right isn't he like the biggest he's the biggest streamer though isn't he yeah he's it's just an one awful of the biggest. person yeah. isn't he still
5: like demonetized though or is that still I, the case? i have no idea yeah,
1: and i think he um he's the biggest individual streamer i think there's an indian from india uh media outfit that surpassed him but See, anyway
0: sam i feel like I really feel like Patrick could benefit from some of the stoicism because his, <laughs> his, first, his first thing that he does whenever you mention anybody is he does a character assassination on the person. He just ignore no. about your YouTube
1: every, habits and ignores, I worry about what is in my control and I feel I can help to control your YouTube habits. So he, I ignores, you. he ignores Amazing. the
0: message and immediately just goes for a character assassination kind of deal. So how, how could stoicism help Patrick? How can we help (laughs) How can we help our friend?
3: Patrick might be beyond help at this point. (laughs) I I can't make any guarantees.
0: No, but seriously. So, what I remember about Stoicism, so I remember, and actually, I used to conflate Spartanism and Stoicism to some extent, right? When I was first thinking about Stoicism again, I'm like, oh, those are the guys that sleep on the floor. I'm like, well, no, wait a minute. Those are the Spartans, like the warriors, right? (laughs) Yeah. Mm-hmm. So how how were the, the were the Stoics were they warriors as well or what was their deal?
3: No, Stoic. Well, first of all, I just want to preface to and set expectations properly is that my interest in Stoicism is not academic. In fact, I'm not an academic in any sense. Mm-hmm. So maybe I would expect that Marion would know something about Stoicism because she's educated. Please fill in the gaps for me. <laughs> Um, okay. But when it comes to history, the stuff that I've read, Stoicism was started, of course, in Athens, Greece, where you had all of your other philosophies, schools of philosophy. But this was back in a time when f- schools of philosophy were not intended to be necessarily academic. I think the, the beginnings of logic and and things like that were happening at the time. But Stoicism is more a way of living. So if you adhered to a particular philosophy, you called yourself that thing, sort of like religions today. Like you might call Mm, yourself a Muslim or a Christian or whatever religion of your choice, and that's how you identify and it gives you some sense of like a moral framework or any type of framework. That's what Stoicism gives you is, is a practice. But these days, philosophy is largely an academic endeavor, right? It's something that you learn in university and the people who study it Tend to be s- smarter than me. So that's just not it at all. Uh, the only
0: thing I know is I looked up Stoicism I mean, and the etymology is something that always interests me. And apparently it means porch. <laughs> like that is oh, yeah. the root of the root word Stoic or Stoic or s- comes from the Greek stoa.
2: Stoa, of course. Which- but, oh, yeah,
0: Of course, Marion. You make you just made everyone listening, including myself, feel dumb. Like, oh,
2: of course. <laughs> you just have to say, of course, in the right tone of voice. That's all you have to do.
0: Yeah, to sound yeah. smart. <laughs> so, of,
2: course. Oh, when you, of course. When you, you, when you know think that? of
4: of stoicism, actually, I did not know that. But when I think of stoicism, the porch scene sort of makes makes a little bit of sense because stoicism sort of wants to take on this aesthetic of a sort of grateful, confident indifference. and And that's kind of and i don't know when i picture like myself sitting on a serene porch i've got my i'm on my my rocking chair with my <laughs> You know, a cup of sweet tea and the breeze is blowing, and the world could be ending across the street. But I'm just sitting, uh,
0: sitting on my porch, sipping my sweet tea in
4: my rocking chair and
2: watching the my, uh, world end. Like
1: in Athens, yeah, yeah.
0: I, I don't think they had porches in that was the so southern. Well, Athens. they had southern Athens.
1: Athens, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
5: Georgia.
0: Yeah, he's out there with his sweet tea on uh. his rocking chair and on the this porch. But yeah, apparently, let me just just read like real quick what it's saying. It says it means from stoa, which means porch, specifically stoa poikile or Poikil or something, which means the painted porch, the great hall in Athens. You know, you picture those great halls is kind of what they're talking about. And that's where a, a school was that a philosopher named Zeno taught. And I guess they just kind of named the philosophy after the, the porch on the way into where he taught it, I guess, is what it sounds like. Yeah, I don't know. That, that's pretty cool. But anyway, let, let's talk about how stoicism pertains to development, first of all, Because, you know, most people on here are developers or designers or or whatever. How is Stoicism something that could be relevant to us? And I know you did a talk at the 2019.all conference about the Stoic developer, but so... For people who haven't heard that, and also just to elaborate on it, what how can Stoicism help us as developers?
3: Well, you know that's a really good question. I don't spend a lot of time thinking about how it applies to development. the The talk that I gave was just an excuse to talk about Stoicism in general. But but I can think of Fair several enough. examples. Okay, so here I am practicing Stoic. I can tell you the history of how I arrived here. But he, there was a time, and Mark Hewitt will tell you probably he might remember this when I was during my happy. Days where I just complained about everything, especially indentation.
0: And Wait, I, you, you complained about everything?
3: Well, not everything. I'm I might exaggerate once or twice. In I was there. gonna
0: say you sound like the embodiment of Twitter.
3: Kind uh, of. <laughs> <laughs> uh, pretty much. But yeah, but okay, so take something as simple as indentation. Mm-hmm. I literally, I'm just gonna out myself here. I was I'm somebody who would get upset about it. And I remember complaining wow. to Mark one day that I hate spaces. I wanted tabs because I wanted my own thing. I didn't like two spaces. And then and then he's like, "Well, what do you prefer four spaces?" And I thought about it and I was like, "No, I actually really hate four spaces too. But three spaces doesn't make any sense." So I just hate it all. Okay. Yeah. That's a, that is a hard way to live.
0: Yeah. That's a hard way to live. <laughs> wow.
2: Yeah. so like you so, could um throw yourself at that in that into that fight and possibly make the world slightly better by having three spaces in some places or make the world slightly worse by having three spaces in some sp- places. But it doesn't sound like a really f- useful and yeah. fulfilling thing to do with yourself. Or, or you
0: could make or you could make all of your co workers miserable by complaining <laughs> constantly. You know? I mean exactly. I tell my kids that yeah, I tell my kids that complaining is like farting in a crowded elevator, you know? Like nobody <laughs> nobody enjoys that experience it's like
3: know? what marcus aurelius says what's what's bad for the hive is uh, is bad for the bee you know um,
0: oh, i thought you were gonna tell me that marcus aurelius talked about farting in an elevator
2: I'm not getting in any elevators with your kids better.
3: i mean in, in so many words that's kind of the same thing
5: you know yeah it is it is, it yeah. is. that was in his famous treatise on gastrointestinal issues
3: yeah <laughs> yeah i remember that one that was a good one but to but answer the, your question i mean back yeah. to the point like so it, that being one story that's kind of a comical of something, but I was just talking with another developer yesterday who was telling me about, we just actually got into a conversation talking about this and that, and he was telling me how he was a Java developer before, and his experience is at least the place where he worked. The Java, the senior Java developers were not, well, basically unfriendly. And you can imagine how that story goes, unhelpful, unfriendly, thinking that you should already know these things. And, and the way that some, I had a talk with another developer once about this, and, and these are not my words, these are his his description but you know the neckbeards in the closet type of developer who thing
0: it's a thing like i've seen neckbeards like it's a thing just saying it's a thing nowadays they work in barns but it's a
4: thing
3: i
0: actually i you could make that you could say something about me you can say whatever you want but i do shave (laughs) <laughs> the, beard, the beard on my neck.
3: We appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but here's the here's the effect of that, right? Great that you know all your design patterns and you know all this stuff, but you're making other people miserable. Right. So, a really relevant topic that gets discussed often on Twitter is should you hire that really great developer who's a toxic person and the answer no, is no.
0: Absolutely not. We we talked about this too when we're talking about like traits to be a good developer and everything. And I think there are there are lots of traits that at least I think most people think are not great, that could be good for being a great developer. But if you're just a shit to work with, like, I don't care how good you are. Like, I'm not going to hire you. Like, why why would I do that? Because a lot of the job, no one is so good that it outweighs the collectivism that you really need to to produce a good project, at least in my opinion.
3: Absolutely. I've been around long enough to see how morale affects productivity and can affect the success of a project.
0: Right, right. No, totally. I agree. And if you go into work, so, you know, they've done studies where what people really want is to feel that they're doing meaningful work. There's a certain amount of money that you need to make. And then after that, there are diminishing returns in terms of your your happiness from it. But what people really need to feel happy is that they're doing meaningful work. And if you're going, if you're going in there and you just hate the environment or you hate interacting with most of the people you work with, oh God, it's just, I I would, that would be awful. I would hate that. Mm -hmm.
3: Now imagine uh, if this scenario had been different for this gentleman and everybody at the company that he had this bad experience at was a Stoic. Mm. So now you have these ideas of wisdom, temperance, courage, justice. Well, how about this? How about Sympathia? the idea that we're all part of nature, that we're interwoven, and that humans were created for each other and that we're here to help each other. And also there are things that, uh, another idea being like the dichotomy of uh, control, there are certain things that you can't control, certain things that right. you can't, right? So if you have a senior developer now who, and the way I like to frame it is a phrase that I heard a long time ago, your chin up, but your nose low, right? Mm. Like you do have all the confidence that you know what you know, but you your nose is low, you're not snobby, and you will take the time that you do have. To help your junior developers understand without making them feel like pieces of crap. And so now you have, and then also as a developer, I think you can become overwhelmed when learning new technologies. We talk about that a lot, like learning fatigue and say you're that junior developer who's trying to learn all those moments of frustration could be put into perspective by, Mm. by understanding like, Hey, this is just something that I don't know yet. And to that's a a idea of just acceptance, you know, to relax, you don't know it yet. You can ask questions because you're not concerned about your ego so much or, or your right. reputation.
0: And that's something that I think is interesting. So something that is really big in the development world for whatever reason is this idea of imposter syndrome. And I don't really get it. And the reason I don't really get it is that I am constantly on a daily basis doing things that I don't know how to do. Like, it's just like, mm-hmm. that is almost the definition of the work that I do. I mean, sure, as you you gain experience, you're able to do this, that, or the other thing. But the things that I find interesting are challenges where I don't know how to do the thing, right? So if you're doing development work, you're going to spend a huge chunk of your time not knowing how to do the thing that you're trying to do. Why feel bad about it? That's just, that's part of what you're supposed to be doing.
3: There might be some context though. Like, what do you think about this? You are kind of an independent and set your own hours. If you are a, a developer at a company and you're on a ticket on Jira that you've estimated and you're going way over, Mm. there could be a certain amount of anxiety of being perceived as an underperformer. The idea that the project manager is looking over your shoulder and thinking that you're a loser, you're going to lose your job and that kind of anxiety. And also in even in my work, It's like what I'm doing right now. I'm having to learn a lot on the fly. I'm having to spend evenings sometimes, you know, doing it. But I think there's that element where there's some anxiety around it. But even that can be mitigated with a a proper outlook.
0: Yeah, I I will tell you that, you know, obviously I have felt that way about certain problems i think everyone has you have to because if you're doing anything remotely complicated it's almost like you don't even know where to start on it and it just feels overwhelming or whatever i have found that it is never as bad as i make it out to be Mm -hmm. if i just start going in and doing it and there's nothing like getting your hands dirty
5: I don't have much more to add than I agree with that 100%. There's been so many times where I think the more time you sort of spend debating how to begin tackling something, the chance for the boogeyman to grow in stature in your mind is greater versus if you just jump in and take action and start tackling it, more than likely you're going to find that it wasn't nearly as bad as you would imagine.
0: So, I mean, perfect example. I have been doing some stuff in Go lately and I've been doing it accidentally because I offered to help somebody out and I got something up and running and then they're like oh well could it do this and could it do that and I'm just like I guess like I don't know I don't know anything about go but all right And so I put it aside for a day or two, just thinking about it. And I was just like, oh, man, you know, I don't know anything about this thing. And it kind of was weighing on me a little bit. But then then I just started like playing with it. And it really wasn't that bad. Like it really wasn't, you know, Mm -hmm. at some point you just got to do, you know, some of these tropes or sayings or whatever, like the the journey of a a thousand miles starts with a single footstep. I mean, it's a thing, you know, just start walking and you're going to get somewhere.
2: But Andrew, it it does happen to at least some other people that they are in. In, legitimately in over their heads on something or right. other, and, and I
4: think we're we're speaking all of us are speaking about this from a position of great privilege as relatively senior developers and and folks who have been in the industry for a long time. I think that there are people who are in situations where that imposter syndrome is going to weigh on you more heavily because it is more tied to your survival in the industry and your, your income, your ability to provide for yourself and your family. But then, I, I, you get, know, that, I get that, that though, I though is but it's but... important to have what what Sam is calling like this, this proper outlook, I think you said from the start, because we're all sort of talking around it. But, but Sam, you mentioned those cardinal virtues of wisdom, courage, justice, and temperance. Maybe it'd be worth it for us to kind of like take a step back for a second and define what those are since we're all sort of talking about them and how they apply to us, but we haven't actually said what they are yet? Sure.
3: Yeah. I have a, I have actually a mind map in front of me cause I didn't want to remember, I didn't want to forget anything, but you see that's important too, because stoicism is full of a lot of uh, maxims, right? That, that will help you little gems that you can hold on to, and they might make you feel a little better in the moment. But I don't think at least in my experience that, that stoicism helps as much as it would if you actually adopted it, and actually marinated it and it like committed to it for a year or something. So the idea of wisdom, so let's talk about wisdom, just a 30 seconds on wisdom. The good news about wisdom is that it's not tied to a high IQ. And a good example of that would be like Forrest Gump, right? You don't have to be smart to be wise.
0: Um, and I know a lot of very smart people who are not wise at all. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So
3: wisdom, wisdom and intelligence are, uh, they might be tied and overlapped. I'm not a psychology expert, but, mm. um, but with wisdom, that's where, In the scope of uh, wisdom in Stoicism, that's where you get into the dichotomy of control. You know, there are things that you can control and things that you can't. Epictetus defined those as as very clearly— uh, it's not like secret hidden wisdom. Uh, the things that you can control are your actions, and the things that you can't control, he says, are pretty much everything else. Mm. And your actions are precipitated by your decisions. Your decisions are precipitated by your perceptions. And if you can control your perceptions of things, that will end up with better actions. And when I like an old saying that I heard in twelve step recoveries, saying that you get what you got when you do what you did. So the wisdom is the key to living a, a better life with better results. Temperance would be simply self-control, curbing your desires, all things in moderation. I think there's an old Roman proverb that said too much or too little of anything ruins it. Courage would be like the the courage to face mis- misfortune. You could think of courage as resilience, even the willingness to face death with dignity and holding on to your principles no matter what. And so, and then justice, I like what Marcus Aurelius says about justice. He said he says not to be driven and this is a quote from him, not to be driven this way or that, but always to behave with justice and to see things as they are. And he expands on that saying that injustice is like blasphemy against nature. Uh, and he makes this argument about or, or the, a perception anyway, that nature is justice and well anyway, I'm going to ruin this. I'd have to open up a book. But <laughs> the but the idea is that there's no justice without truth. And so it's important to understand what the truth of things are too. He says that what is, like nature is what is, and what is is not far off from what is the case in any given case. And so you can't have justice without knowing what the truth is. And I would add to that, it's hard these days to know what the truth is about things without researching and taking the time and the effort and the responsibility to research things before you echo things that aren't, might not be true. So that's justice. And justice includes the idea of sympathia. The universe is interwoven. You and I, all of us on this podcast, we were all made to help each other and to serve each other. And that's a responsibility that we have because like Marcus Aurelius said, what's good for the hive is good for the bee. So yeah, those are those four in a row.
0: Yeah. And something you mentioned, earlier is that there are lots of little nuggets of information that you can use and will be valuable to you, but you might want to try living these values as opposed to kind of using them like fortune cookie fortunes. Yeah. So what, is, so what does that mean? Because it's, it's great to have little quotes that help remind us and center us and and that kind of thing. But what's the difference between just digesting these little fortune cookie nuggets of wisdom versus actually living the thing?
3: Yeah. Yeah. The Stoics. So there are a few things. And I grabbed my talk that I gave at um, Montreal at dot all. I pretty much ripped off step by step a book by William B. Irvine, and it's called The "A Guide to the Good Life. And he talks about these things in terms of Stoic or psychological techniques, but I would call them practices. And that's why I say Whenever I say I'm a, I'm a Stoic, I'm not so much a Sto- into Stoic philosophy as much as I'm into Stoic practice. It's the practices of Stoicism uh, that give me a better life. So one example, like I, I gave at the talk, was memento mori. Remember that you're mortal. And the way that I do this, I do this intentionally. In fact, just yesterday, I was talking with my wife. Uh, she is 14 years younger than I am, and it's m- very likely that I'll pass before she does. And Sam
0: robbing the cradle. My I know. goodness.
3: I know. Wow. <laughs> I tell you, it just, it just worked out that way. Um, mm-hmm. So, so, but we even talked just yesterday about what would happen if I would pass, like how, what does our bank account look like? What is she right. going to do? And all that stuff. So, so, and it's not that, that it's going to, it promises that the future is going to be any, it's going to feel any better for her if that happens, but to remember that you're mortal uh, and, and also plan for the future. Actually, I'm kind of conflating Memento Mori with Prematado Malorium, which is to imagine the worst thing that could possibly happen in the future.
0: But, <laughs> which is the the opposite of YOLO, right?
3: exactly. Exactly. <laughs> But the, the but remembering that you could, like Marcus Aurelius said in, in his journals, he said, remember that you could leave this life right now and let that determine what you say, think, and do. And he also says, live your last day every day, mm. to not live in frenzy, sloth, or, or pretense. Um,
0: I worry about that, though. I worry, like, if we all actually lived our last day, our every day, like it's our last day on earth... <laughs> I, I honestly really worry what would happen. You know what I mean? I yeah. think there would be there would be a huge increase in crimes. So let's Have put it that way. Have you seen the movie Purge? <laughs> yeah, right, <laughs> <yeah, laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. Okay. I, mean, I
4: don't know uh, though. I think I don't think it's so opposed to sort of like you said, it's the opposite of YOLO. But I think it's it's exactly YOLO. But it's it's sort of <laughs> right. a more self knowing YOLO right. because like a, a key thing about a useful thing for me considering like these tenets of Stoicism is each each virtue is directly opposed opposed to a potential vice. And so this this virtue of of sort of understanding your morality and and consideration for the things which could happen is is opposed to to the vice of irrational fear and the unreasonable and harmful things that one can do when one is acting out of irrational fear. And so to consider the worst that could happen and decide that the thing that you want to do is worth that risk or is mindful of that risk and deciding to do it anyway because it's worthy, better considered version of of YOLO. It's, I have applied caution, but I have stopped short of fear, and I have decided what I'm going to pursue, and I'm going to pursue it with
0: courage. And it also sort of reminds me of those, was it Roosevelt's quadrants of making sure that you're conscious of the things that are very important, but not urgent, because we tend to focus on only the things that are urgent. Yeah,
3: I think that this is a little bit of a tangent, but you bring up a really good point. There are concepts like when at first glance, you kind of filter them through your own filter or they, they you, like we all have our individual like moral taste buds, so to speak. And, and maybe the, the initial thought of like Memento Marie or prematato Melorium Malorium might not taste so good right away. But and that's why I think like if you really want to get into stoicism, give it six months of actually reading a bunch because you'll find the balance for whatever you're having a trouble problem with at the moment in learning stoicism. There's something over there on the right that you haven't seen yet that balances it out. Mm. right back to what Michael
0: was saying. I want to correct myself real quick. I looked it up. It's actually Eisenhower decision matrix, not Roosevelt.
4: (laughs) Important and unimportant, urgent and and not. (laughs) Yeah,
0: exactly. And, And in this case, actually, what really is important is the concept, not the person that did it, right? So this kind of gets back to what you were talking about with your how many should we use tabs or spaces, you know, from my perspective, like, I don't really care. Like, I really honestly just don't care. All that matters is that in your organization that you work within, you standardize on something, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, to me, that's what matters. And I don't get on that particular argument. I don't get hung up on it. I'm just like, okay, you know, whatever.
4: Well, or you focus on what you can control and you don't don't cast your own craving as, you know, as requirement on someone else. Maybe maybe that means your org standards on tabs because tabs are superior and everybody knows it, but maybe someone in your organization disagrees with you in which case okay, well what can i control? Well, i can and, and How much does, does it matter? The step on my <laughs> right. So first is is, is 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 it is it worthy? Does it matter? And if i decide that it is worthy, then it's probably going to be not because I have an emotional reaction to it, because I let myself sit with that. And then I decide, okay, that's an emotional reaction. This is not rational. But maybe I still decide that it's costing me enough time, it's costing me enough productivity, that I need to use one thing or another because I can be more productive. And then I need to set up a little build step on my end that when I open a file, it changes spaces into tabs. And when I recommit that file, it changes them back to to whatever is standard for my org because I can control that and so I can get the benefit that I need without imposition on other people based on my my emotions
0: yeah and this kind of reminds me of something that sam alluded to earlier which is the i think it's called the the serenity prayer i think the the context i know it from is alcoholics anonymous or whatever in the beginning is god grant me the serenity to accept the things i cannot change the courage to change the things i can and the wisdom to know the difference would that be considered a stoic philosophy, Sam?
3: Indeed. In <laughs> fact, I'll just tell you that that's my history. I came into stoicism through the side door. And in this and I kind of wanted to share this with y'all anyway, just in the spirit of understanding that in our industry, well, in many industries, but I'm only aware of ours, that there are there are a lot of people who share about their mental and emotional disorders or struggles that they have in hopes that other people who might suffer from that might gain some, some encouragement or direction, right? So, right. but that's actually my history is 12-step recovery. It, and there was a time when I was sitting with what we call a sponsor, who's like a mentor, and we were reading uh, some of the literature and it was about ego and all this stuff. And he looked up at me, he said, you know, all the, all that we're learning here is stoicism, right? And I didn't know anything about philosophy, stoicism or anything. So I didn't know at the time, but it was just a few years ago that Ryan Ireland, our, our good friend, uh, mutual friend, recommended. He said, dude, you might like to read Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Holiday. It's a really good book. And that's how I was was actually introduced to Stoicism just maybe three years ago, and now it's every and so my sponsor back in the day was absolutely right. And what's interesting is that because of my experience, I don't ha- and I'm just going to be very candid with you. Stoicism isn't just like a, a passing interest to me, or its Stoic practices aren't in my particular case. And I'm not unique in this. Is that my actual literal life depends on this in some mm. regard, at least the shortening of my life, and so. Me keeping a sense of serenity and equanimity and service to each other is something that is is not optional for me. And so I feel like that's a benefit, however. But what's beautiful is that I think I have a better life now than I would have if I had never had the struggles that I had. And I've always wanted to find a way to share this with other people. And the beauty of Stoicism is that it's not a religion and it's not 12 step recovery. It's not any of those things that provide a common language that I can share these concepts with other people, hopefully to gain the benefit of the same kind of life.
0: Yeah, that's actually really interesting, Dave. It reminds me of an old fantasy book that i read a long time ago called the chronicles of thomas covenant and i'm not i'm not expecting anyone who've read it but the reason it reminds me of that is that the main character had leprosy it was a condition that he had to live with and as part of that he lost the sensation in his limbs so he couldn't tell when he injured himself so in order to live in order to get through his daily life he adopted a protocol of what he had to do to check himself at every instance to make sure that he had not harmed himself in some way. And it sounds kind of philosophically similar to what you're talking about.
3: Oh, most definitely, most definitely. Yeah. So I, I practice these things every day. I, mm-hmm. I spend time and it doesn't take a lot of time, you know, prementado, uh, like thinking about what could go wrong in the future. It doesn't take a, a lot of time to do that. There's also anchoring, you know, anchoring your expectations, being grateful, thinking, well, I'm grateful for what I have uh, because actually my life could be a lot worse right now. I could have right. nothing, Right. Right. And honestly, there are so many things about the the time in which we live that we're we're just so much more fortunate than people in the past hundred years. I mean, up and until the last hundred years, human existence was marked by mostly by poverty and suffering, and at, like abject poverty and disease and suffering. Many things that within the, just the last hundred years that we've we're fairly wealthy and well off now, but. If my expectation is, well, I could have been born at any other time, so I'm just glad to have the healthcare I have right now or whatever, you know. But anyway, I'm kind of rambling on that now.
0: Well, let me ask you a question. So there's, and this might be somewhat controversial. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Patrick is probably going to freak out. Get ready, Patrick. Oh, boy. You ready, Patrick? Uh-huh. So. <laughs> there's, a, there's a meme that's going around about the Karen, right? So the, the Karen is, you know, typically middle-aged white woman who complains about everything. Some people say it's a misogynistic term or, or whatever, but the point is, you know, someone who's just never happy with what's going on and is constantly complaining, wants to see the manager, you know, that kind of thing. What could a Karen learn from stoicism, Sam?
3: Well, a Karen, so that is exactly the the thing. A Karen would need to learn that the life they're living is a hard life to live. Mm. I, that's a, something that I always uh, am fond of saying, like, that's just a hard way to live.
0: Yeah, and why do you want to make things hard on you? Things are hard enough already. Like, why make it worse, right?
3: It's mm. sort of a human—I don't understand psychology. Uh, it's sort of a human thing. I think mm. we love misery. I don't want to say we love misery. That's such a terrible generalization, but uh, it was my experience, you know? mm So, but the answer is if you want a better life, then you have to have a better mind. Mm. And, but the requirement to want a better life, that's not a requirement. Like either do or don't, uh, it's up to you. You, The the life you live is on your own. And that's definitely a stoic thing too, is that it's, it's a stoic, a stoic doesn't care if other people aren't stoic. In fact, we expect most people in the world to be a Karen in the way that you described it right there to, uh, Expect that if if a bad thing happens to me, like here's an example, if a bad thing happens to me, to be glad about it because if it happened to somebody else, they might not be able to handle it. You know, it's that kind of mm.
0: Yeah. Well, what you said just reminded me of another maxim that I heard a long time ago. And I, again, I'm I'm going on fortune cookie wisdom, but this was in terms of being physically in good shape is that your body reflects your lifestyle, right? There are lots of people that like they want to go on a diet. They want to do something to change something about their, themselves. But really your body directly reflects what you do as part of your lifestyle on a daily basis. So if you want to change the way your body looks, you can't just do these little fad things you have to change your lifestyle you know you have to get mm-hmm. out you have to exercise you have to make it a daily part of what you're doing and you're essentially saying the same thing but regarding your mental attitude and that exactly. makes complete sense to me yeah
3: exactly and most people most people are not going to get it i think because a change like that like somebody who has already trained their mind over who knows 20 years of life to think a certain way you kind of get in that rut the Impetus to change is not there unless you hit a bottom. Mm. And so like my story or any number of people who have that identical story, where life Get so bad that you have your, you finally have your existential crisis. You realize that you weren't weren't able to live life on life's terms, and then you find a, a reason to get better. But what happens, I think, to a lot of people is that people can just generally be unhappy through their life, never sick enough to find a doctor, or even know that they need to find a doctor. And, and I, this I,
0: actually gets back to what we were saying before, where I, I was saying that imposter syndrome, no big deal or whatever, and I got some pushback from Marion. and and some other people about it. But what I mean is, if you accept that part of your job is not knowing what you're doing, then you shouldn't feel bad when you are in a situation where you don't know what you're doing. And yeah, you can be in a situation where you're a junior developer. I'm a junior developer when it comes to Go right now. Like, I'm as junior as it gets. Like, no one would probably hire me to do anything with Go. But what you have to be able to do is accept that this is normal. Like, put your ego aside. It's normal that you're going to encounter things that you don't know what you're doing. And then Ask somebody for help. You know, if you're in that situation where you're evaluated, you've got the Jura ticket, like you were saying, and it's got to be done in a certain amount of time and you don't really know what you're doing, obviously put in your best efforts to figure it out, but then ask somebody and don't let your ego get in the way of that because you got to understand that there are things you're going to encounter as part of your daily job that you're just not going to know how to do. I do it all the time. Like I leverage people that have specific speer- spheres of knowledge that I don't have. And I talk to them all the time about stuff and they talk to me, you know, we do like skill swapping type of things all the time. What do you think, Aunt Mary? Am I still kind of head in the clouds with imposter syndrome? Am I simplifying it too much?
2: I a little bit. Yeah. I think that if imposter syndrome is worrying that you might be in over your head when sort of pointless not not because pointless not pointless because you're not in over your head but pointless mm. because the worrying about it isn't isn't the solution if you're in over your head then you know you need to do something about it but worrying about it isn't going to help But yeah. isn't that but what it, Sam is talking you,
0: about in terms of rearranging your mental model and accepting that that is a thing and yeah. doing something positive rather than just worrying about it
2: Right I, I agree I think so I think, yeah. I think you know you I mean the positive thing to do about it may be to you know leave that job and move on to one where you're not being billed as a senior go programmer when that really isn't you
4: right well, I mean you, you said it very interesting you said two two key things Andrew first you said you you have to accept that this is this is part of of your job this is normal yeah. this, this is the way of things and then you said and you have to set your ego aside mm-hmm. and both of these are, deeply stoic things to say because the setting aside of ego is like ego is sort of that about yourself that prevents you from seeing yourself clearly and that the danger of of ego is that it prevents you from having a conversation an, an honest conversation with yourself about things like justice and prudence. And so in order to accept that something is is normal or expected, you have to, to first be able to realize it. You can't accept something that you don't realize. And I think that's what's really useful about the framework of stoicism. And I actually really want to go, what did you, you say? The books, The Chronicles of Who?
0: <laughs> oh, you want to read the book? The Chronicles of Thomas' Covenant.
4: Yeah, like um. this idea. This idea of self-examination, whether whether you're you know going through the protocol to check yourself for leprosy or like physically, or you're doing it on a more spiritual, philosophical, logical plane, in order to when you're in that situation of feeling over your head, in order to to accept the reality, you have to. Confront like what is it that I what is my actual situation what am I afraid of what am I actually afraid of what are the actual consequences how can I mitigate these consequences and times if you ask yourself those questions honestly then what am I afraid of well I'm afraid of being a fool well what are the consequences of looking like a fool well you know everybody's a fool in some way well, how do I Mm -hmm. mitigate the consequences of being a fool? Well, I learn, I ask for help, I seek wisdom. And so this is the stoic process. If you really sort of zoom in on it, because once you ask these questions and you have this honest conversation with yourself, then you can come to that place of acceptance and sort of serenity.
0: And this is what we were talking about in a number of other conversations we had. And it really boils down to introspection. And that's what I enjoyed about that book series and why I always remembered it is that The checks that he would have to do on a regular basis to make sure he hadn't hurt himself because he had no feeling in his limbs—it's the physical embodiment of introspection, right? I mean, that's what it is. And when you when you are self-aware enough that you can do introspection and kind of figure out what's going on with you, you can make sure that you're on the right track. You know, so is that is that part of stoicism, Sam?
3: Most definitely. That stoicism—that one of the practices of stoicism is daily reflection. At the end of the day. To Mm. think back upon all the events of the day, what your reactions were, what your perceptions were, what your actions as a result of the decisions that you made, all of those things. And the relevant part of that in 12-step recovery is the fourth step of where you take personal inventory, they call it, every day. Like, what did I do right? What did I do wrong? And it's not a practice in moral failure. It's more of a scientific, just step outside yourself if you can and go, well, that's interesting. I acted that way when that happened, hmm, you know, and I'll say that because I do this as a a daily thing, I reap the benefits. I have a, I'm not trying to brag or anything, but I have the best marriage in the world. Mm. And because I'm kind of a bonehead and I I didn't have the best marriage from the start. (laughs) And this was the process. This is how I got there.
0: (laughs) Well, when I think about people that need Introspection into their morals, I think about Patrick. So what do you think, Patrick?
1: <laughs> How do I respond to that? <laughs> uh, what a horrible setup. But no, but seriously, what do you think about what we're talking about here, Patrick? No, I, I mean I, I uh, nodding along for the most part. I, I think some of the things you said around you know that someone's say appearance or whatever can reflect yeah you know, their lifestyle. I think that's a little bit simplified. To put it just a bit, my the second that you said that, I thought back to a talk that Sam you gave years ago at Piers Conference. If I remember, one of the things that you said, which tell me if this is stoicism or not, but you know, be kind for everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. Yes, Um, I think you know to assume that if someone's a mess or they're whatever, it's it's you know it's because they haven't taken control of their life or whatever. I think that's really discounting what someone's history and what outside factors have have done to a person's psyche and damaged a person. So, I think it's also important to be aware that, you know, everyone has their limits as to how much they can control and the actions that they can take. And everyone's, you know, I always try to think everyone's doing their best. Like, their best might suck at times, but people are doing their best. Uh, I'm not always doing my best. Well, you you are. It's just sometimes it sucks. You know, (laughs) you know,
0: no, I mean I'm I'm being honest. Like there are definitely <laughs> times where I'm not doing my best. You know, I mean it you depends are, on you
1: aren't. But uh, you know, it, it's the best that you can muster at that point. Mm. But it's it's the difference between blame and responsibility.
4: When you're at the end of the day and you're reflecting back on your day, and if you weren't doing your best, if you were doing something that wasn't your best, one option is that you attack yourself, you blame yourself, and then you slip back into that spiral of, of fear and The stoic direction is that you say, oh, okay, why? Why was I doing this thing this way? And how? what am I pursuing that is not aligned with this way that I was being? And how do I take responsibility for that? Not in a self-blaming way, but in a self-responsible way.
0: Right. And I think being responsible, at least to me, is saying, you know what? Honestly, I didn't do my best because I think there are times where I could say, well, I did my best and it would be a cop out, right? Because I probably, maybe I really didn't. But, you know, I want to address something that you said, Patrick. I'm not saying that there are not external influences that could change your lifestyle. Oh, yeah. Right. I'm just saying that you, your body reflects your lifestyle. There may be reasons for your lifestyle that are external factors. That's fine. I'm not, I'm not saying that those things don't exist for people. I know that that's a thing. However, at the end of the day, your body reflects your lifestyle and I'm not making a judgment about, you know, Hey, you know, you haven't taken ownership of this or whatever. Cause you know, for instance, like I'm overweight, I could lose weight. I know that mm-hmm. I, I understand that there are more things more that I could be doing that would be assisting with that, you know? So I'm not saying that there aren't a a history of things that could have happened to someone or reasons why their lifestyle might be the way it is. I'm just mentioning the reality that your body is this machine that it reflects what you're doing, you know, and the reasons for what you're doing are kind of like a separate thing, at least kind of a
4: tautology, though. It's like, yes, I came to be the way that I am by doing the things that I did.
0: Okay, I think to Patrick's point, and
4: to Stoicism's point, you can make those causal links within yourself you can Mm -hmm. point to yourself and say i am such a way i would like to be a different way how do i take responsibility for becoming Mm -hmm. um you know what can i control i think it's very rarely appropriate to make those causal assumptions about someone
0: else i well the way that i was mentioning it was more for yourself
4: and decide right right you can look at yourself and make decisions about
0: the way Well, well, that's the whole point though, Michael. So that's the whole point of what I was saying was not to shame anybody was, but was to say, Hey, if you want to make a change, the change you have to make is something on a daily consistent basis. Like that's what you need to do. And it's not meant as a. You know, external way of judging people. It's more for yourself that if you actually want to make a change, what it's going to take is a change in your lifestyle, not taking a pill, not going on a fad diet. Like You literally have to change your lifestyle and your body will then reflect that the same way that I think Sam was talking about. You need to change where your mentality is at in order to be able to change how you react to the things that happen around you. Does that make sense, Sam? Yeah.
3: And I just kind of want to leapfrog and take what Patrick was saying to the next level is that I want to be careful. uh, And I am careful when I talk about stoicism, because there are people in the world who suffer from grave emotional and mental disorders.
0: Hmm.
3: And, and there are people who are just in a place where because external things do happen to us that we don't have control over. Right, But what stoicism offers is not so much an imperative to get over it. It's what stoicism offers is a way out Mm. for somebody who is reasonably mentally there. But even then, if I can refer now to 12-step recovery, people with grave emotional and mental disorders do recover as well, they say, if they have the capacity to be honest. And that honesty is something uh, akin to what Michael just described a little while ago, about self-honesty like when you approach something it's like okay well this is going to be hard and i'm anxious about it but what that says about me is that i'm worried i'm worried i'm going to lose my job that's the like that self-honesty right mm-hmm. so stoicism offers an antidote to what you might feel that you're trapped in and you might not realize that it's possible to escape what you think is inescapable because certainly mm-hmm. my story is one where i there's no reason that I should have escaped what I did, but this lifestyle has certainly done that for me. And I think if it can do it for me, it can do
5: it for anybody. Well, there's another compelling story too, sort of along those lines, a guy named James Stockton. I don't know if you've ever come across him or read his story, but-
3: absolutely. He- Yeah,
5: so he was an admiral in the U.S. Navy. He was shot down or somehow captured as a POW during Vietnam. And he was held there for five years in the worst imaginable conditions. And slowly, one by one, all of the POWs he was held with did not survive. But he did, and he credits his survival to Epictetus, which is, I think you mentioned him Mm -hmm. earlier, which is the famous uh, Stoic philosopher, uh, because he was able to, to... He couldn't change his situation, but he had full control over his perception of the situation.
0: And that reminds me of something that I don't even know where I picked it up, but I learned many, many years ago that you are giving words power, right? So if someone says a word, the impact that that word has is entirely up to the person that hears it. Yeah. Right. So, you know, certain, you know, curse words or certain other words that people don't like or whatever. The only reason those have power is the person hearing it is affected by them. Mm-hmm. And it's something, you know, I talked to my kids about is that, you know, you are in control over how you react to what is said and done to you. And if you allow yourself to be affected negatively by these things, you're giving power to to the person who is saying this thing, or you're giving power to the person who is doing this thing to you. What what do you think about that, Sim? Is that a stoicism? That's
3: that's exactly stoicism. You basically quoted Epictetus again, who said that, uh, I think it was him who said that if you feel harmed by somebody else, that your mind was complicit in the harm.
0: Mm. That's right. Yeah.
3: That's pretty much what you just said,
0: for sure. Okay, well, I guess I know where I got it from then, somehow. (laughs) You know,
3: it's funny because William B. Irvine talks about in his book, he says some people are what he calls just congenial Stoics, just Mm. born that way and just kind of get it. And I've always thought of you as that way.
5: Andrew. So Sam, I wonder how you feel about, I guess this has kind of become like a trend in Silicon Valley too. So so one of Epictetus' ideas is it's not what happens to you that matters, it's how you react to it. How do you feel about the practice of intentionally putting yourself in uncomfortable situations in order to practice that virtue? So like the <laughs> most simple example I can think of, and I see it frequently cited online, is switching to taking ice cold showers, like giving oh up Hot showers and only taking cold showers, so that you can practice this idea that you're in an uncomfortable situation, but it sort of forces you to work through it.
3: I did that for a while. I I did. I went through a cold shower phase, and it was great. Actually, did you might, find
5: value in that? Do you feel like that that increased your resilience or?
3: I I would say it's hard to say. I it could it, psychosomatic, probably right. But even then, or like placebo effect. But it, but probably yeah. And also one thing that I do is that, especially in today, and I don't want to, you know, get into any controversial areas, but today is things are so highly politicized. And having conversations with people that are uncomfortable about politics, religion, mm. and all of those things, I have friends that I hold on to dearly. I'll be a friend with anybody. I don't care what your ideologies are. I don't care what your religion is. I don't care which uh, side of the, spe- the political spectrum you're on. If you're a human, I-, I care about you. And if you will be friendly with me, I'll be friend. I'll be friends with you. And so I have people that I consider. Like brothers and sisters that I have conversations with about those difficult topics, more in a sense of not to debate and see who's right, but actually mm. to sit there and listen and try to understand because it's not just what a, a person from a different mindset says, but trying to step into their mind and see why they view it that way. Right. And and when I do that, I'll admit that it is a very uncomfortable position to be in mm-hmm. because there was a psychologist who had this idea that we all kind of have our own moral taste buds. So I'm swallowing something that doesn't necessarily taste good to me. So I expose myself to other ideas. So absolutely, I, I make a practice about exposing myself to situations, ideas, and things that make me uncomfortable on purpose.
0: Most people don't do that. Most people are in their own bubble. And it's the kind of thing where a lot of people thought, the internet and social media, what it's going to do for people is it's going to expose them to all these ideas. And this is great. You know, everyone is going to the exact opposite happened is it allowed people to coalesce into these little tiny islands of I'm going to go to the island where the tribe agrees with me 100% on this thing. And then they don't interact with anybody else well, with, it any also, with any it different also ideas
5: to where people that had more outside the mainstream ideas could more easily com- communicate with each other.
0: Oh, yeah, right. yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, because you're able to find people, you know, maybe in your town, there's one person that thinks that licking the yellow frog is like the amazing thing, you know, and you're like, OK, well, yeah, I guess it's. Or I was, I, I was
5: thinking more than the lines of people who like think Hitler was was a good guy or so, like whatever. It, it used to be difficult <laughs> to like find other people that shared those views. Right. The Internet makes it.
0: Right. And that's the thing. You're right. The Internet allows these fringe groups to kind of coalesce together. And as I was saying, they don't typically interact with these with other groups at all. It's not this idea sharing wonderful wonderfulness. They don't really interact with these other groups. Unless they're attacking the other group and then they marshal their support and then they attack and then they go crazy. I got a quote or a tweet that I want you to react to, Sam. Curious okay. to hear what you think about this. I thought this was really interesting. So the 24-hour the news cycle has done to our parents what they thought violent video games and Marilyn Manson would do to us.
3: Oh, no, that that is interesting.
0: In other words, the the constant banging and the the tribalization of a lot of these news outlets, it's kind of causing people to it's working people up into a frenzy. You know, it
3: does. And I read a headline. You know what I do is I read pocket. (laughs) And so I read lots of headlines, never the article. But mm. one of the headlines I thought was interesting is that or it was subtitle or first paragraphs said that due to our hunter gatherer origins that mm. our minds are are wired to prioritize bad
0: news. And makes sense.
3: Yeah, and that's just a bad combination when you when all your and that's why bad news probably sells ads. And yeah. It's just—it's a horrible situation to be in, and this is the world that we live in, right? And this is why mm-hmm. I cling to stoicism for my sanity. And I actually don't watch the news. I, I'm
0: gonna—I terminated my cable a long time ago, and the only thing I listen to is BBC World when I'm driving around in my car. That's like my my news, and then occasionally Patrick will like message me links to stories that will upset me, and I'll. <laughs> Ru- ruin will ruin my day but that's that's about it and i used to be this crazy news junkie like keeping up with stuff like all the time and then i went away for a while where i had no access to anything and i thought i missed out on everything and i got back and the world didn't change like nothing changed i looked around i'm like well that was a load of shit you know that's mm-hmm. the news is just a tv program trying to get ratings trying to keep me watching screw this I think, you know, you know? Let's, let's not bucket
4: news too broadly because we do depend on journalism. We depend on fact-finding. We depend on other people to go investigate pieces of the world that we cannot ourselves be present to. I'm talking and
0: about the 24-hour news cycle, should, like any of those 24-hour news shows is what I'm right. talking about. And, yeah.
4: and so then this, this kind of goes back to the quote that Sam was talking about earlier where Epictetus was, was saying, make sure that you're responding, not reacting and that what you're responding to is the reality of a thing and not an impulsive impression of the mm. thing. And so I think right. going back to this sort of question of, well, what can I control? Well, I can control my reaction to the news and mm-hmm. I can have this discipline of knowing and and renewing my my knowledge of my own mortality so that I'm not so afraid of the things on the fringe that sound threatening, and and so I'm not as likely to react impulsively, and then I can sort of take my time, like Epictetus says, just take a sec and, and think about the nature of the thing, and investigate the thing, and then, and then respond." Um, and that's what I, I can control. I can choose my, my sources of news to be less reactionary, and I can cultivate my own self to be less reactionary.
0: To, to pull this back into the development world, that's something that you can, it sounds to me like you could also use this stoic philosophy to do the same thing that you would do for the the news for you know, the latest framework that's coming out, you know, to kind of take a more reserved look at it. Does that make sense?
3: Absolutely. That's brilliant. Absolutely. Why don't you elaborate
0: on that, Sam, a little bit about how stoicism could relate to picking up the the next shiny object that happens to be coming in the the front end world and, and, you know?
3: (laughs) Exactly. Well, how about this? Is that you know that you're going to end up having to use that on whatever next project you get thrown into because somebody decided they're going to use it. and Mm. uh, Like now I'm in a world where I I jumped into a world of uh, Angular, uh, the modern Angular, not Angular 1. Mm -hmm. Um, sorry and react and i'm not doing it and also i'm doing node i'm not doing anything that i was used to before which is php like Mm -hmm. lamp stack stuff and Vue.js, which is popular in the php world Mm -hmm. and so i'm i'm in a world now where i'm learning very quickly and i'm learning how to learn and some of that i learned but i i loved your i did you have an article or you said something about learning how to learn is the best skill that you can think Th- that helped 100%. me a lot that yeah. article helped me a lot actually uh, overcome some of that anxiety but yes uh, the constant exposure could increase or anxiety because it's like oh my goodness i have to learn something again or i'm going to be irrelevant but then to michael's point is that like epictetus said the gap there's a gap between impulse and response And if you can extend that, that's where you find yourself. That's Mm. a concept I think about a lot. Some people, and certainly who I was many, many years ago, was somebody who thought that I was who my impulses are, Mm. right? but. That was that wasn't who I am. There's some sort. There's if you can extend the the gap between impulse and response, you can actually find out who you are, and that's a Stoic concept. In that Marcus Aurelius talks about this at all. What w- that nature, part of nature, is reason, not just the things and the atoms that exist, but also reason. If you think about DNA, RNA, like there's information involved as well, and. The, the ancients had a this idea of the logos, and which is the re, that what we share with nature is reason. And if we want to live according to nature, then we don't just live according to those knee-jerk responses. We don't just live, we're not just a bunch of atoms, but we also live by reason. Well, there's no time to reason unless you can extend that gap between stimulus and response.
0: And the interesting thing is that Epicurus is someone who was around, you know, what, like 300 BC or something like that before the internet, before there was a a crazy JavaScript front end. And yet, and yet somehow what he was talking about applies, right? So that means we're talking about universal truths. And so I think that's what makes it valuable, you know, not just to your, the way you approach your work, your development, but also to the way you approach your life, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it is important that you learn how to learn, as you mentioned, because that's what you're going to be doing most of your life. And you look at the the commonalities in terms of, you know, yeah, you were a PHP developer before, but you shouldn't define yourself by that, right? That just is like the the language is just the conduit for problem solving. And yes, it takes a little bit of time to get up to speed on the language, but that's not the important part. The important part is the problem solving part. And you can get up to speed on that. And that gets back to what I was talking about before with regards to imposter syndrome in that, you know, this is normal. Like this is the everyday part of what you're going to be doing, that you're going to be doing stuff that you don't know exactly how to do it. And you just have to be able to understand that that is something that you need to deal with and and move on. You
1: know, Mm -hmm. what do you think, Patrick? I'm down with it. Yeah.
0: I don't think, I don't think Patrick. I don't think Patrick's awake. I think he's sleeping through this.
1: No, no, no. This has been good.
3: I have really enjoyed hanging out with all of you. I Each one of you, I, we've met at these conferences and we're part of the same community. And I just love you guys. I just wanted to just be all squishy and about that right now. Sam, love
0: you with- too, Sam. Oh, Sam. Uh, wait, <laughs> me this thing. I'm like, still not going to wear that little black dress for you, though, Sam. It's not happening. Sorry,
3: Marion. I didn't mean to leave you out with the guys' thing.
2: I did. You guys okay. out with the guys' thing.
3: I'm so sorry. I apologize. You're probably my favorite person here. And that's not even a lie because I do play favorites.
0: person's <laughs> <laughs> favorite person here. All right. So now oh, yeah. we're going to, embra- we're, we're not going to embrace stoicism anymore. We're going to embrace Spartanism and you're going to have to throw yourself on your sword for your mistake, Sam. Okay. That's it. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) That about wraps it up for another episode of the devmode.fm podcast. Make sure to subscribe. And if you enjoy the show, please write a review on iTunes, tell a friend, or retweet this episode. We'd really appreciate it. We'd also love to continue the conversation. Leave us a comment on the devmode.fm website or find us on Twitter at devmodefm. For the devmode.fm podcast, I'm Andrew Welch. I'm Jonathan Melville.
2: I'm Marian Nullivant. Michael Rogg.
1: And I'm Patrick Harrington.
0: And thank you, Sam Hernandez from Precocity for coming on.
1: My pleasure.
2: Patrick,
0: do you think I'm going to be attacked by a, a squad of Karens now? You think it's going uh, to be I think, yeah,
1: we just should have listened, inevitable. <laughs> mail.
2: Plain to the man.
0: <laughs> I should add a "complain to the manager" button on the site.
2: <laughs> Amazing.
0: All right, let me stop the recording here before it gets too crazy.